and welcome to Why Inclusion. My name is Victoire Barbambiron. I am a reporter at CityWire Selector and the host of Why Inclusion. In this podcast, we question what inclusion and diversity mean for asset managers. The whole point is to keep conversations going beyond a celebratory date, a month, or just a hot topic. For the first episode, I am joined by guest Rebecca Lewis, who is chief executive of UK-based Arizeg Partners, a long-term focused investment firm that invests in emerging markets. We discuss how fruitful diversity, especially LGBTQI plus awareness, can be when it comes to allocating assets in emerging markets. Rebecca, thanks for joining the first episode of Why Inclusion. Perfect. Thanks for having me, Victoire. I intend to create um, a safe space with Why Inclusion, where guests feel welcome and where there is room to show the way and lead the way, if you will. So I would like to start with a question that I don't usually hear in conversations in our industry. And that is, what are your pronouns, Rebecca? (laughs) <laughs> my pronouns well I'm a she right um but I think we're open to 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 they or you know he uh, as an organization um from our perspective diversity is strength so I think you know when we're building our organization you know we're best we do better when we're incorporating all different perspectives and all different uh, diversity dimensions, whether that's gender or ethnicity, um, all backgrounds. Um, and that really links to, to the way that we approach investing. I want to continue on those semantics because after all, why inclusion um, is questioning, is all about questioning. Uh, so we might as well question terms as well. In our industry, we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, and it refers to many different topics but why would you say that sexual orientation specifically is worth talking about within diversity and inclusion why is it relevant to chat about this outside the private sphere and to literally bring it to work Mm, no it's a good question but I think this is can be quite a personal topic um well it's certainly a personal topic for me because I you know I'm an investor and so I can give you you know, a good 10 minutes, um, at least about how our investment process is improved by bringing every dimension of oh, diversity to play. Um, I mean, from my side of things, I also think there's the moral responsibility. I'm gay. Um, I have a wife and we have two beautiful six-year-old daughters. And, you know, we benefit from every day because we're a legally recognized couple and a legally recognized family here in the UK. And, you know, we invest in emerging markets and it's, you know, you don't have to look far to find countries where, you know, uh, you know, gay uh, people don't have the same rights um, and freedoms that I enjoy. So I think this is quite a personal thing for me because, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of people who fought for the freedoms I enjoy. Uh, And so when I look at doing my job and I look at our firm doing our job in emerging markets, you know, it does feel quite personal, but I think, you know, that's my own personal journey. I think more broadly across our organization, we have 
45 people across three offices in London, in Mumbai, and in Singapore. You know, we're an incredibly diverse place. And our job is to follow and track what emerging market consumers are doing. And there's 6 billion of them. And so if we're going to do our job properly, you know, if we're going to live up to the expectations of our clients and serve our clients best, we're going to reflect the diversity of those 6 billion people in our own organization, in our little RSA 45-person world. So, you know, I think aside from my own personal journey, there's, you know, a moral responsibility of everyone in the company to, you know, strive for equality. Um, how, so do, yeah. how, do you, how do you do it at your, before we get talking about investments in emerging markets per se, how do you implement this in your company as chief executive? Do you, I mean, do you have uh, maybe a couple of practical examples of how you make people feel included? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we, we really strive to be a values-based organization. And I think right. that helps, you know, defining your values. And one of our key values is collegiality. You know, we're an investment firm that believes that we're stronger as a collective. You know, some investment firms have the kind of the sharpshooter, you know, the guy generally at the top who's making the calls. Where our investment approach is, is very much a strategy. It's a strategically led portfolio we have an investment team of 20 odd people around the world um, and so from from our perspective if we're going to live our values of collegiality then you know bringing diverse perspectives together if we're going to work together we have to you know think hard about how we're going to do that across three different offices with actually three quite different cultural backdrops you know UK India um, and Singapore um, and so I think the way that we think about this more broadly, I think, you know, a lot of things do start with leadership. And so I think it, it matters how not just myself, but the broader partnership group and the broader management team live our values. I think, you know, and I think that does look back to the history of RSA, um, which is a firm started by two Scots and an English guy together. And they were always, you know, there's very, you know, similarities in, in that that approach, this idea that you, you, know, you live your values, you invest in your own projects, you know, you eat your own cooking, you, you know, yeah. you, you're not, you bring your authentic self to work, you don't bring. And so I think that is a, is actually what inclusion is about. Um, it's actually about a sense of belonging and not about not having to hide. And now that could be because of your sexual orientation. That could be because you know, you're still in the closet. That could be because of your background. That could be because you're actually a shy person. You have to feel like you have to be, you know, the loud person in an A-type culture. Um, I think what we want to embrace in terms of kind of living the values, you know, is that collegiality and the, another key value for us is thoughtfulness. You know, we're not, you know, we want people to be thoughtful, bring, you know, their authentic self to work so I think it is about leadership uh, at the end of the day and and I think the organization and people and you know individuals within that respond to that and so how do you extend and bring this culture to to your investments I wonder how this reflects in investments generally speaking from a practical point of view especially within emerging markets which is your scene um, yeah. since you have two up and running funds one in asia which is worth 2.5 billion dollars yeah and one um global fund which is worth a billion dollars if i'm correct yeah um and and you have a new impact fund that i would like to talk about later on um but so how would you illustrate the benefits of 
diversity and 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 awareness um in some in some of the long-term allocations that you make no i think you said it with the long term and i would just say we do have a latin america product as well um thanks which is no which is kind of interesting because it's um it's run by a member of our team alice townsend who's a woman she's the only head of research within our firm who's a woman so i think it's quite important one to mention particularly in the context of latin america which is it's, it's quite a male-led culture yeah. um but i think your point the, the key word that you mentioned there is really long term this idea of time horizons really really matters um when it comes to broader sustainability factors but particularly kind of social factors like diversity you know reaping the benefits of a diverse workforce uh, is is not something that happens overnight you know even in terms of you know my leadership of, of our firm and the partners alongside me you know the changes we're making now we may reap the benefits in three five seven years time um, and so i think the challenge for the industry in general is one of time horizons you know we see holding periods for stocks getting shorter ceo tenures getting shorter you know the life cycle you know is 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 really diminishing um, and at the same time, it's ever more important for strong businesses to build out, you know, these, you know, this infrastructure, whether that's from a diversity perspective or thinking about environmental areas like climate change, to look out to the long term. So in, an, in essence, that's our biggest challenge is, is time horizon. So we're, we look out 20 years with our investments. So it absolutely makes sense for us to... Mm consider these factors because ultimately if you're we aim to buy businesses we buy equities and we aim to hold them forever and with that in mind we want to hold the strongest businesses and our view is that the strongest businesses have you know the strongest and best corporate cultures right right and could you could you maybe illustrate one of those um strong businesses that you'd be invested in yeah well great example i mean again it's kind of bring it back to the topic of diversity from an LGBTQ plus perspective that's close to my heart is uh, a business called uh, Godredge Consumer. So it's led by a woman. That's not why I pick it actually. Um, <laughs> but this is really quite, you know, it's, I believe a really inspirational um, chairperson and CEO called Nisa Godredge. And it's the business in India. It actually has a, a global presence now. So we consider it kind of this multinational of the future. So it's based in India, but it has, you know, it has uh, operations in Africa, it has operations in uh, Indonesia, um, and it sells everyday products like a lot of our portfolio companies do. So this particular business, it sells insecticide, it sells soap, um, it sells hair, hair oil, uh, sorry, hair colorant. So it's kind of the products that you and I would reach for in a supermarket. It's the, it's, it's the business behind that. Like a beauty company? What, yeah, exactly. Yeah, selling at these everyday uh, products really affordable okay. that's one of the key distinctions for many of our products like we love businesses that sell you know branded products that that consumers reach for without even thinking about it so that's right. like a soap or a hair colorant um and so this is a really interesting business we think we've held it for 20 years now when it was pretty much just a soaps company um but now it's you know as i say it's this works across all these geographies all these different products um and it's it's just been a, the culture of the business and the way it thinks intergenerationally about growing its business has always stood tall. So the founders who originally of Arisego invested in it back in the day, you know, always spoke to the culture uh, of the then um, leader of the firm, Adi Godrej. 
Um, but again, we see exactly the same intergenerational thinking with Nisa Godrej today. It's just the topics have changed. She's an amazing advocate for the LGBTQ plus community in India. And this is a country that only became legal to be gay in 2018. Um, and so they, I mean, again, the business case for this is just clear. If you want to reflect India, 1.3 billion people, in all its dimensions, in all its diversity, if you want to attract the best people, if you want to have an environment of creativity and innovation, you need diverse workforce where everyone can bring she talks about bringing your authentic self to work so yeah. i think it's a very powerful indicator of the culture of the firm and that's one of the reasons why we invest is because it's not actually because you know it's not from the angle of oh well you know you're great at lgbtq rights therefore you're in the portfolio we just think that that speaks as part of a broader holistic picture about this being right. a very thoughtful long-term minded business we love the categories it's in we love its competitive moats we like the management quality we write hundreds of pages about why the business looks good but part of that is is the corporate culture an interesting kind of anecdote is you know we took i took uh some of our investors with our team in india to india to listen to to kind of show them like what it's like on the ground we do this a lot actually we we believe that emerging markets are just amazing places of, of opportunity and growth. But it's really hard to get a sense of that when you're sat behind a desk in Brighton as I am today. So we go out into the field a lot and we like to bring our investors with us so they can see this up, up close and personal, so to speak. So anyway, we had a, you know, a session booked with, with Godred so they could meet and go to their innovation center in, in Mumbai and, and all this good stuff. And I had a, you know, a section pinned out for, for Nisa to speak to investors. And I was expecting the kind of the, you know, pretty standard, this is the strategy, this is the firm. And she kind of stands up there and leads with LGBTQ rights. She leads with um, the importance of that to Godrej, you know, the topic, you know, really from an educational perspective. And I was in the audience that day. And I, I, I hadn't teed this up at all. Um, in fact, I don't even think that Lisa was, you know, you know, we don't know each other on a personal level, so she knows about my wife and, and, and our children. I secretly start recording this for, uh, for my wife to show her back home because it really is, you know, groundbreaking in the context of India. Um, and something, you know, they have a, their, what's called the Godredge Culture Lab, which is something they fund external to the company, which really kind of driving forward a dialogue on, you know, broader diversity because, you know, we're, again, pet topic lgbtq rights but you know just the dimensions of diversity are so mm. broad um and yeah i think to your earlier point on this at the start of the the webinar it's all about dialogue and growth and progress you know i don't yeah. think anybody's naive enough to think that you know things are going to change overnight um but i think it's you know again a responsibility of everybody you know imagination is not escaping today our imagination should be about you know, thinking what the world should be like, and it should mm -hmm. be a more equal place with representation at, um, you know, all levels of, of companies and all level of government that really reflects the societies in which we live in. And it's even more, it's, I think it's even more impressive that she, uh, Nisa Godridge, is that right? Yeah, that that's yeah. That she managed to um, implement this culture or maybe add this culture to a group that's been an empire that had been running for, almost a century yeah and adapt it it's pretty 
Pretty That's impressive. really interesting. Yeah, and it's something that we think about hard as a business in a partnership group. I mean, RSA in its own little way, we've been around for 24 years now. We started in 96 and we've come through, come a long way. You know, we've, we've been through a bunch of crises, Asian financial crisis, SARS, um, global financial crisis. We've now got COVID. So we've kind of got our own history. And, you know, for us as a new partnership group, um, you know, with a successful business, we think really hard about, well, how do you incorporate the best again of that values piece how do you incorporate those values that endure um and how do you take a step forward and evolve and grow and and again that does link to the creativity around diversity and actually there's a really interesting indian sanskrit word called antivasin and this really speaks to this um i learned this well in india actually we have a team based in india and they're always educating me about lots of interesting things about um culture there and actually Nisa speaks to this as well this idea that you know if you're that the word is actually talking about um it's actually framing this idea that um if you're at the edge of a village and when you're at the edge of a village you've kind of got one foot in the past and one foot in the future anyway the the, the word is antivasin i think about it a lot because i think it's kind of for all of us, you know, in any organization, if you're in a leadership role, you're, you're not trying to kind of wipe away all the history and all the things that you've done. You're trying to take the best of what you've done. But increasingly, because of those innovation styles speaking, you know, speeding up, we all need to innovate and evolve and, and be creative and put that one foot in the future. And that's a balancing act, right? You know, mm. one foot in the past and one foot in the future. Um, what, what's the word again? Antivasin. Antivasin. Yeah. I might write it down. It's my new, uh, it's my new favorite word. Great um, word. Yeah, it does. I think it speaks to a lot of, you know, a lot of perspectives in life. You know, you're trying to, you, you bring the best of the history and lessons learned over the years, but also, you know, a bit of a fresh slate. You know, how you think. Yeah, again, imagination. How you think things should be. Hmm. And of course, in the case of, you know, a, you know, a quality, whether that's, you know gender or ethnicity or you know, uh, sexuality you know it does I can't just help but feel at times that we haven't got one foot in, enough in the future right. and that's really you know well, that's a challenge I think because so many people in leadership positions don't necessarily you know walk in the same shoes um, you know if you do have very you know uniform management teams and firms then it's, it's really hard for them to you know to reflect you know, the understanding of, you know, what it's like to be a minority or what it's like Absolutely. to be in the closet in terms yeah. of their own decision-making. Do you think that um, emerging markets are perceived as, generally speaking, being behind in terms of inclusion and diversity? Or is this an unfair generalisation? Yeah, they're probably perceived to be behind but as with most things in life as certainly with most things investing um you know top-down generalizations never really help actually in life in general i don't think that's emerging markets like um and that's one of the challenges today in the, in the twitter sphere you know if you can't put it in so many characters it's you know it kind of gets forgotten um and so yeah generalizations yeah it's probably a fair generalization but i don't think it's fair um certainly in terms of you know certain countries you know we see you know there's a very you know modern approach to gender um in places like vietnam 
um, you know, other countries, you know, you know, the, the nature of the local kind of religious uh, elements makes it, you know, much, much slower going. So I do think, you know, life is much more complicated than, than that. Mm. Um, and I suppose that's when we, what we think hard about when we're investing, you know, we, the reason we have a, a you know, quite a big team and the reason we have offices in India and in Singapore is we want to be, and the reason we hire local, you know, local um, uh, analysts in each of these markets is we really want to try and be as close as possible to the to the ground to, to understand what's going on. That's how we, again, serve our clients best. Is this how you spot innovative firms or how you sort of witness how they're doing? Because yeah. I reckon that if, if it's in an environment or in a context that's riddled with... Um, disincentive um, structural issues yeah um it might be more difficult to spot uh those firms that would go beyond those obstacles yeah i think that's a great point and a big challenge is disclosure so a whole Mm. bunch of you know financial disclosure tends to just be here's the numbers guys and now that's actually changed dramatically in developed markets over the last 20 years you know you see these um you know sustainability reports you see much improved disclosure about you know governance structures and beyond that you know climates you know employment figures you do see improved disclosure in generally in emerging markets you know disclosure is poorer and so i think that's key again links to that investment approach the reason we go and meet management is we want to understand actually what's going on behind the scenes they might have a really poor report um you know, they might not disclose, but there could be a lot going on behind the scenes. And Gordon, who runs our Asia product, he's based in Singapore. You know, he's, he's going to, to Dakar, to Bangladesh, to, to meet a business we own there, National Food, to understand what's going on the ground. And actually, we, as an approach, we tend to engage pretty heavily with our holdings to, mm-hmm. to kind of to encourage them to improve their disclosure. We're not activists by any sense. I think we like to talk about being constructivist. We, we hope to appeal to the enlightened self-interest of, um, you know, if they are doing, you know, good things behind the scenes to disclose that. And sometimes even sharing best practice, you know, taking, you know, best practice. We might own a business in, you know, in Mexico uh, that has a particularly um, forward thinking and positive approach to, uh, you know, an operational topic or a sustainability topic. And we'll, we'll take that example across to Dakar and we'll, we'll talk to the CEO about it. But again, it does does feed back to these time horizons. If we wanted to buy these businesses and we were looking mm-hmm. to sell them next week, there's no, there's no reason why we would make this, this effort. You know, the reason we do it is because when we buy a business, we're, we're aiming to hold it forever. Right. And how do you navigate this, um, especially within emerging markets, as constructivist, as you said, um, are you ever facing the challenge of, holding a firm that you believe in but yet wouldn't have shown the results just yet how do you how do you make sure to you know not keep it when it should be dropped or not drop it when actually you should keep it I think that's when it comes back to your original question about why we value diversity because our biggest risk for a business like ours is we fall in love with our stocks right you know we we meet Godrej and they can do no wrong because they've got this amazing culture but if they're really if they're not translating that into into performance of their business which ultimately should lead to stock performance then 
you know, ultimately we want, we have to align those interests. So I think that's one of the reasons why we really value diversity in our teams and we try and build practices and structures to, um, to make better decisions and hear from you know junior members of the team actually hugo robinson who runs our uh, a global fund he wrote a, you know what i think is a really interesting decision making piece recently you know and he thinks really hard about the process we have investment committee meetings but if you always hear from the senior guys first saying what they think then how are the junior guys like they are they really going to speak up and say you know i think you're wrong so i think we, we think very hard about the dynamic of our conversations we form working groups um to kind of really wrestle with issues so we give it enough time but also so we we hear the the potential downsides you know we have people who you know speak on calls you know you know might be more junior and actually their job is to say what what could what could go wrong with this business um and i think that that kind of dynamic is is something that we encourage um, as an organization, again, leads to that value of being trying to be as thoughtful as possible about the work we do. Moving forward and embodying what this podcast is about, would you like to talk a little bit about the Next Generation Fund um, that is set to launch this year and what you expect to do with it? Could we get a bit of a little glimpse? Yeah, oh, I'm happy to talk about it. I think it's interesting from a lot of different perspectives for us. I mean, I suppose everything I've spoken to today is what we consider to be common sense investing. You know, it's, it's, it's our bread and butter. It's, it's buy and hold, it's long-term. And where we think about diversity and other sustainability factors, we're really trying to build those into the investment case so that the growth that we, that we see is sustainable. So it's, it's about sustainable growth. I think what's important to highlight for the Next Generation Fund is this product goes beyond that. This product actually is not about sustainable growth. This product is about a portfolio of companies that by the nature of the goods and services that they sell, they, you know, for one of a, you know, a better phrase, they make the world a better place. So that the products and services are, you know, either the six pillars, but they, you know, the healthcare businesses, they're focused on education. Uh, they're focused on financial inclusion. There might be a particular product such as, um, um, you know, feminine hygiene products in India yeah. um, because the knock-on effects of getting those products means that women can become self-sufficient, go to school, go to work. So the, the portfolio is, is different in that respect. You know, it doesn't own these everyday, you know, biscuit companies and, and, and the like that are in our core products because the actual products or services has a positive outcome. But I should add, actually, at the same time, we think it's important to, to to point to the fact that we think they're going to make great investments. Mm. You know, there's a sheer absence of these basic goods and services in emerging markets uh, and the type of businesses that we've identified in these portfolios, you know, they sh- you know, that, that kind of growth and positive outcomes should go hand in hand. So we yeah. don't see there being a diminution, you know, this kind of idea, well, if you get good impact, positive impact, then there must be worse investments or if they make great investments, there must be a lower impact. We've identified, we think a portfolio of businesses where those two, two uh, elements run hand in hand. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's run by um, David Lanning, who's, who's one of the new partners in the, in the business. Um, and again, it's that anti-vaccine concept. I suppose it's, it reflects from our cultural perspective, a step into the, into the next generation for, for our partnership team. Um, right. So it's been, yeah, it's been exciting to build that out. 
the, uh, the genesis of, of yeah, yeah. Sorry. so what type of investors um are you targeting with the the fund well all of our investors are institutional um so i mean again it points to that long-term approach right mm. you know we you know we are a perfect investment manager you know we're not a perfect investment manager for someone who wants to make a quick buck you know we're mm. you know because we're not necessarily kind of you know up you know, whenever, you know, all the stocks are flying, we're there for the 20 years. So we've delivered returns for investors for this by the focusing on the horizon. So the type of investors that are attracted to us are, are exactly that mindset, really. They, they're very often institutions that, you know, want to build libraries in 20 years, their university endowments or their pension mm. funds. You know, they're thinking about their long-term liabilities or their family offices that are thinking intergenerationally about, you know, preserving wealth and, and growing capital in that respect. And I suppose an interesting observation is that, you know, we've seen an increasing interest in, in this product because of a growing awareness that, yeah. you know, it's, you know, again, not that it, 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 it just that it matters and there's that kind of moral sense of, you know, we all have to participate in creating a world that we want to live in, but also from a, a risk perspective, you know, there's, I think there's a growing sense that thing, you know, things can't go on the way that they have been um you know capitalism i you know you know i still believe there's you know that these businesses you know have an incre incredible power in these markets to provide opportunities for economic progress mm. um and but i think there's a growing awareness that you know are directing capital to those that think more broadly about their outcomes it's not just about next quarter's results but it's about the environmental impact and the social impact and creating, yeah, the fabric of those organisations that, you know, encourage a more equal and, and uh, diverse society. Rebecca, thank you for joining and for no being problem. part of change. Oh, Dare well. I say, being part of Intivacin? Yes, there we the go. Best <laughs> Perfect. No, no, delighted to, to chat today. Um, so thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for coming. I'm looking forward to discovering the Next Generation Fund and the positive impacts it will have um, in the next 20 years. Dear listeners, if you want to listen to more episodes of Why Inclusion that will help awareness to percolate into the industry, please go and check out the rest of the series on Spotify. Bye for now.